0: Women culturally have not been empowered by the conditioned systems to comfortably ask for what we want. Welcome to the Mindful Wealth Podcast. Stop financializing everything. What is true wealth? What's the right metric for success? Much of how we live presupposes that our incomes or spending is
1: a good measuring stick. But can you really quantify success with a bank balance?
0: Or should we include softer things like learning and love, generosity and gratitude, and happiness and well-being?
2: Hello and welcome back. Uh, Today we're chatting with Lisa Peterson, who I've known for many years. She's the founder of Wealth Clinic and the author of an Amazon bestseller, The Mindful Millionaire. Lisa left the advisor world to have a greater impact coaching people to unwind their money issues. And she's been quite successful as part of the FIRE community. Uh, Lisa, welcome to the Mindful Wealth podcast.
0: I'm so happy to be here. Hi, Lisa.
1: So um, the first question that I want to ask you is, tell us a little bit about your story. What is your journey through life that has led you to be sitting with us here today?
0: Big question. (laughs) So the reason I'm sitting here today uh, has a lot to do with the fact that I have been plagued by scarcity mindset much of my life. And if it weren't for scarcity mindset, I probably wouldn't have worked really, really hard in the first half of my life to build wealth. I I wouldn't have been important to me (laughs) the way I look at it. But because there wasn't very much growing up, I made a decision at a very young age, I think going back to like eight years old, that I needed to figure this money thing out because my parents definitely didn't have it figured out. And, you know, I want to say the rest is history. I write about this in my book that by the age of 12, I had already figured out how to get a credit card at JCPenney's by lying about my age. And I got my mom and dad, my mom to take me to a bank and get a checking account at 12. And within a year or so, I started having bigger savings accounts than they did. So it goes back really a long time. The good news is, is that I am no longer plagued by scarcity mindset. I have plenty to last for the rest of my life, not just because it's a dollar figure, but because I figured out that that was a problem that was really holding me back from living the life that I wanted to live. And yeah.
1: And so maybe you can just tell me a little bit like how that turns into kind of helping people, right? So it sounds like you have a really incredible backstory. I don't know anybody who really started worrying about money at 12. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Interesting connection. But so how does that then turn into, you know, you do your thing. I assume you, you know, spend a lot of time making your own money, but then somewhere that turns into helping other people. And so how did that happen?
0: I would Probably break it into three phases that I went through in my life. I'm 55 now and the first 30 years was all about me and having money and being safe and secure. In 1999, uh, right around 31 years of age, unfortunately, I went through a really tragic thing with my father uh, was killed and it was very tragic and very sudden and That was a turning point for me to realize that I had never been happy. I had made money, my God. I was completely clueless of what it meant to live a life that was aligned with who I was because I didn't even know who I was. And that led into another 13 years of me getting into meditation and self-realization and Buddhism for many years. And in that time, Interesting enough, and I I can only say this in reflection. But in that time, I was just trying to figure out, like, what is this thing called life? Is there any way that I could ever be happy? How does money relate to that, and and how that looked in practical life? Is is I look like I was doing all the same stuff? I had my career, I had my you know wealth building because my husband and I have been building real estate and developing real estate for for thirty years. I had that. I had my children, my relationship, my career. And then over here, I was meditating and teaching mindfulness and getting involved in this kind of subculture, but they didn't mix. And and it wasn't until 2013 that I realized I couldn't live this fragmented life anymore. And it was only in that time that I was ready to go out at the level that I am now and say, I think I've learned some things that I could help other people with. And I'm just going to go make it up and and figure it out. And and so that started in 2014. So, I
2: I actually, I love that. I, I hadn't heard that. I mean, I have heard that story. I didn't understand that trajectory and how you went from sort of internal to sort of an external focus. And it makes me feel better now that I know how old you are, because I'm I'm five years behind you. And so I think I can catch up. I think I can, I think I'm sort of on the same pace because I brought, you know, I did the same thing. I brought the finance and the mindfulness together just like three years ago. So, you know, in five years, I'll be, I'll be where you are, which feels good. I, I feel like I'm on the right <laughs> path. So, so, you know, we talk a lot about true wealth. If you listen to a prior episode, we talk about true wealth, you know, some call it success. Some refer to it as well being and fulfillment. What does what true wealth mean to you?
0: True wealth to me is something that changes as I change. It shifts as I become the person that I think I'm here in this life to become. And so when I look back a few years ago, I would have given you a totally different definition of what that means. For me right now, true wealth is something that has a lot to do with choice and construction of how I, what I'm giving my attention to, and is that in balance with my priorities and values. And it has a lot less to do with about money, but three years ago it had a lot more to do with money. And, and perhaps that I can't look at it in a vacuum of separating all the pieces out, but we have, financially thrived over the past three or four years. And what's funny about it is it's overall, but looked like we weren't really making that much money. And so we've kind of reached this place where we're not really doing much, but it's actually growing in in a bigger way. And we're not, it's just not important to us. It's it's kind of that dream that everybody hopes will happen. Like when you reach this place of abundance, just starts happening and you're like, wow, that's amazing. So, so that's been a realization as well, that, that the less I focus on it, the less important it is, the more seems to come. And now it, it shifts me into, you know, mm-hmm. what's this legacy that's being created in the world through my actions of body, speech, and mind.
2: I mean, it's, it's interesting that, I mean, as we move up Maslow's hierarchy, we sort of begin to take for granted those things at the foundation that other people are struggling to attain. And, and as we move up the hierarchy, you know, our, as you say, our definitions of what wealth is change. Does that, does that resonate that idea?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And simultaneous to all of this in the external world, there's so much happening inside of me and understanding of who, you know, who I want to be and what wisdom is allowing me to, you know, really fully be here present in the moment. And so it's just fascinating because the freedom that we gain, and this is why I think I'm such a proponent of women gaining wealth and gaining this empowerment, is that the freedom to choose the path that you take is enormous and and outside of just being worried about money all the time is so limiting. And, And I'm just constantly blown away at the possibilities that can come.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, (laughs) I actually have a few questions I want to ask, but I'll I'll ask you the question that's uh, on the script for the moment. (laughs) So you kind of, you know, mentioned this connection of women and wealth and how that's kind of a theme that's important to you. This season of the Mindful Wealth podcast is about women and wealth. And maybe you can talk to us a little bit about how our fundamental processes and beliefs create the basis for a healthy financial mindset. And in your experience working with women, what do you think is the biggest challenge that we face specifically?
0: I'll start with that last part, and then you might have to bring me back. But what's coming really strong in this moment, and because I work with so many women who are trying to build wealth for themselves through business ownership, and it's not an easy journey for anyone, but I happen to focus a lot on those differences and the things that I see my my male clients struggle and the things that I see female clients struggle with differ. So one of the biggest things that comes up over and over again, that is an obstacle until we see beyond it is this ability to ask for what we want. Women culturally have not been empowered by the conditioned systems to comfortably ask for what we want. And it would be more of an exception. And there's tons of research about this. Like I'm not just making this up. It's been done over and over. There's a book called Women Don't Ask and they've got all the research in there. And and so learning about these tendencies that we have, And then not being afraid to push ourselves into the uncomfortable zone and start to say, well, where is this showing up in my life? Is it with my clients? Is it with my financial advisor? Is it with my partner? Is it with my parents? You know, the list goes on. Um, Being able to ask for what you want and stand in your own power, I think is the turning point for someone to go from maybe a little bit of wealth building to a lot of wealth building.
1: Yeah, that's definitely like rings true for me. Um, I think, you know, in my experiences of coaching and also like personal experiences, maybe you can tell us uh, just a little bit about the fundamental processes and, and that we go through in the and how our beliefs create a healthy financial mindset, because that was like the other question that I kind of wanted to ask, like, it sounds like you came from this intense experience of scarcity into what looks like abundance today. And you associate that with a mindset shift. So what does that actually look like on the ground?
0: Yeah, I can give you a direct example from a recent experience with a client because it's, it's hard to describe this. Um, and I think it's way more helpful if we just get really specific. So a lot of the work that I do in one way, shape or form is allowing people to have a breakthrough around what paradigm are they living in now that has prevented them from being able to build wealth. And if we can get to the core belief systems that are kind of holding them hostage in one way and open up to the fact that this is not true, it maybe it was true when they were a child or in their twenties or even in their thirties, but it's not anymore. It has a lot to do with forgiveness. So, I'll, you know, I'll give you a specific, but then what happens is that ushers in the possibility that I don't need to be limited by this particular pattern or this paradigm anymore. In most situations, what has happened is both women and men have this, but again, I work with probably 85% women. Uh, so I saw a lot more. There has been a belief system that has caused this person to beat up on themselves. And they don't even know it's the sea they swim in. It's the voice that's happening behind the scenes that comes out that says, you're, you're really stupid about money. You've made repeated poor decisions about money. You, I mean, you name it. And and what's funny is these are people that are like highly successful. You would never know that this is happening for them. And, And even when they hire me, I'm like, are we going to find something? Because they seem like so together but they, they know that there's something that's not working and they, they found their way to me. But when we get to these patterns and these ways that, that we're talking to ourselves about money or wealth building, or I should have done more for myself, I should have taken care of myself better in my twenties and thirties. And you know, I wouldn't be in this situation. We offer forgiveness to the players, including ourselves. For what happened in the past and why it happened the way that it did, That we're always doing the best that we can. It's not personal. We take it personally, but when that falls, when that belief system and that paradigm falls, what I have seen is people are able to go out and create a completely different life for themselves because that story is no longer a narrative may a little bit remnants, but it's no longer dictating their decisions, whether it be about investing or saving or asking for what they want. I mean, it shows up in a lot of different places and it also helps us feel our relationships with other people because oftentimes those money is affecting those relationships.
2: Uh, just real quick. Can I, can I pull on it, Terry? Is it okay? Yeah.
0: Go, yeah. go. And then it's my turn.
2: <laughs> okay. So, so you, st- when you, when you did your self intro, you talked about how you come out of you know, a deep sense of scarcity. And, and you said, you no longer suffer from this. When you said that, I was, that blew me away because I don't know anyone that says they no longer. So I, I say I come out of deep sense of scarcity and it still has a hold on me today. I don't need to have that have a hold on me. I am way beyond it. And I know this intellectually, but emotionally, it still grabs me. So is this process that you're talking about, is this the process you went through to get rid of that, I mean, it sounds like a clean break. Like you're no longer subject to it.
0: Uh, yes, and keep in mind, I have been working on this quite, you know, proactively for 23 years. But what I love about being a business owner is it literally lets nothing hide, and especially when you have a team of people and. You are only as good as the person that you're showing up in these relationships with. And so what I would say is, is business ownership over this past eight years has forced me to look at these areas and sometimes they come up in business and sometimes they come up with my family, but what we're, where I noticed the biggest shift and, and hold on to your hats. I mean, this is where it changes is that if there is any manipulation or deceit inside of us of what we're going to get from other people. And that's leading the show, which is super unconscious. We're still living in scarcity. Hmm. What am I going to get out of this person? What am I going to get? And and it's so hard because again, this is the water we swim in. This is what we think being a human is all about. Like, I do this for you. You do this for me. But the problem is, is there's so much stuff under the surface about need and <laughs> getting greed. <laughs> you know, but it, deceit is a better word for it because it's very, very hit. Nobody ever knows what's going on inside of us. I love the idea that in the future, let's say 100 years from now, we all have the ability to read each other's thoughts. We couldn't live this way anymore. There would no be no room for deceit because everything we think everyone would know. And that would eradicate it pretty quickly. But I live my life as if everybody does know, or I try to. Like that's because I see how different it changes. Uh, I, I, yeah, you are me. I am you. You know exactly what I'm what's happening right now and and transparency is everything. You know, it doesn't mean that we can't co-create together, but if, if it's coming from a place that, I get this, and you get that. It's coming from a place of separation. Separation is scarcity. Hmm. Oh, it's so interesting, Jonathan. Do you like do you resonate with some of this, or does it like?
2: No, you know, I've I've actually recently discussed the idea of transactional relationships, right? So I think that's kind of what you're getting at is is if if we're always trading, and in all of our trading, we're trying to trade up, which is that that is a sense of scarcity. That is, that is what will I get out of this? And I think that that's that that I think you're right. I think that drives everything until we wake up to it. And this is why we have, you know, specific loving kindness meditations. So we put everyone on the on the same on the same path. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I find this so interesting because I, you know, maybe this is like, you know, Jonathan and I sometimes we talk about like our individual psychology and like what our little gremlins are, right? <laughs> and I, you know, I I guess I just don't feel like I've had that experience of feeling scarcity towards financial resources. and as a result, like it's I find this fascinating, but I'm not able to like really kind of, I can intellectually hear what you're saying, but it's as if emotionally I've not had that experience. And so it's just so interesting to me that like people are experiencing that. And I think like it now makes me aware that like that's actually going on for people sometimes. And like if you don't know about it, you kind of aren't aware that it's going on. I don't know, if that makes sense.
2: I wonder if this is a uniquely American thing.
0: Maybe, I mean, maybe.
2: What do you think, Lisa?
0: I think that we definitely have some cultural differences and and it is a block to spiritual development of people, you know, we'll say in the West, but especially in the United States where we act like everything is fine. And then there's this whole narrative behind the scenes that isn't being forwarded being brought out into the open and i think as a child that bothered me a lot because i've always been that person like wear your heart on your sleeve and 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 i'm just showing up and and i'm more interested in expressing and being in connection with people than i am about hiding the parts of me that people might not like well it's not that they don't like those things that i show i've just gotten used to being divergent if you will (laughs) compare with that but but what used to throw me as a child in this culture is that people would show you one face and then do something behind the scenes completely different and I I just didn't understand that and I feel like it's very embedded in the culture that we live in and Mm -hmm. thankfully I don't I'm I'm so grateful that I don't have it quite as prominent as it was when I was growing up, because it's, it's difficult. You're like, I think we're in one place, but then I find out later we're somewhere else and nobody told me.
1: (laughs) Jonathan, I was going to say, I think I I didn't even occur to me that this might be a cultural thing, but like, if I look at, you know, all the kind of economics reading that I've been doing in terms of like the U S and, and how financial outcomes really like do condition a lot of things about your lives in a way that for us, they don't, you know, like I, we had an off-camera discussion about what going to college costs in the States versus, you know, for us, uh, it's for a Canadian school in Canada, it's like whatever, three $4,000 a year, like it's not a lot of money and it's accessible to, there's government grants for that. So it's accessible to everybody who has the desire to go really not, a, you know, not everybody comes from a household that's supportive of those decisions, but should you make that decision, Like the world is not prohibiting you from doing it because of your financial means. And so I could see how, you know, the fact that your system or even healthcare, right? The fact that your system runs in a different way means that those outcomes are just that much more important, right? Like us, even if you want to pay for like better service, you can't in the healthcare sphere. So we're like, we're all stuck with the same like subpar thing, but we all have access to it, you know?
2: Wow. So this could go off on a total tangent. I'm, I'm going to try Let's to bring this back a little bit. A, a tangent that I would love to have, like, I, I don't, don't get me wrong. The idea of how by changing the cultural underpinnings, you could actually bring people closer and share broad, share success more broadly is, you know, that's, I think that solves a lot of problems for, for us, uh, but we're not going to solve them today. So uh, <laughs> Lisa, you you described these connections between self-worth like historical self-worth and current financial situation. Can you kind of unpack that? What is the relationship uh, the, the connection between how I feel about myself and my financial situation?
0: I think there's plenty of situations where they could be totally separate, but I'm just going to focus on those intersections that I've seen consistently when people have a low opinion of themselves, they back to what we were talking about before have a hard time standing on their own two feet and asking for what they want. And so that relationship between how I feel about myself, I consistently see it show up in what kind of careers we go into, what kind of business we start, what we ask for to be paid. And, and I think that, that it's, it's super powerful to separate the two and realize that you could be on your own journey figuring out you know self-love or self-understanding and you could actually have money be out here as more of like a game you know like what about separating them and say well what if I just asked for more what if I just like didn't think about it from that perspective. And I just got the nerve up or I surrounded myself by people who think differently and I learned from them and I work on this journey separate. And I think this whole idea of connecting into and back to the United States, there's this yardstick that Mm. also can happen where based on how much money I have or the socioeconomic status I grew up in, Or maybe I grew up in one and now I'm not in the same one that my parents were, like this yardstick to measure self-value like as a human because of how much money you have is very, very, very dangerous. I I think it's far better to separate them and say, I've got two issues here, but I'm not going to allow them to indicate one way or the other that I think about myself. So kind of like a full circle thing.
1: I wonder if you could maybe tell us a little bit about your book, Mindful Millionaire. Why did you write the book? And what's not like other personal finance
0: books? A lot. that's not like other personal finance books. (laughs) So it's written for two audiences, which is, first of all, unusual. The first audience is like my parents struggle with money all your life and may or may not, you know, even know how much problems it's causing, but like not as aware about money, let's say, but know that it's not working. And so you want to find a book that helps you get your head around, like what's happening here? Why is this not worked out for me? So those folks, it's also written for somebody like me who made money, God, and then woke up one day and said, "Goodness, please don't let me die with this twisted relationship, that this is the most important thing in life. Like there's gotta be more. So it took me five years and writing like a million words to condense down to you know this book that would wake people up to their own relationship with themselves and notice where they get snagged along the way in their journey. And so it's not like any other finance book in that I teach about our relationship with money through the chakras. And the reason I did that was twofold. One, it's fun and it's like a different way of thinking about it but also Maslow's hierarchy of needs was inspired by the chakra system. And it's not like some woo woo woo, woo pseudoscience. Like it's just basic. How do we mature as a human being? And it kind of goes through these different phases that we go through. And what I've found in my, in working with thousands of people and, and their money stories is that we get trapped in these sort of, time gaps in, in our own development. And those come out later in life in, in in different ways in money. And so I just kind of created the different problems and pains that we suffer and connected them to a chakra. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. It's kind of silly sometimes. I was like, at, right before it came out, I was like, I think I might be crazy. Like everyone's going to think I'm crazy. And, and I'm a certified financial planner and I worked in money business for 30 years. And, and now I'm like, entering a new phase where I'm so glad that people write to me and tell me about how it's changing their whole entire life where couples read it together. And they're like, I understand you. It all makes sense now. And it's really fun to bring a different perspective to this very serious thing called money.
2: What is a mindful millionaire? I mean, what, you know, what, what's mindful is the, is the, uh, uh modifier there. What does that mean?
0: you know it's probably changing again to me today the mindful millionaire is the person who's who's incredibly humble about the journey that they've had with money they've built wealth you know in some capacity for themselves whatever it's not the it's not the zeros but it's this sense that I'm okay I'm gonna be okay it's fine I've got my resources but what the mindfulness does is it changes the way we're thinking about money on the planet? It's changing, it's as, it's forcing us to ask the questions. You know, where is when you let's say you say about money, like where is that money going? Are you going to invest in things that make the that destroy the planet? Are you going to invest in In, you know, socially responsible and, you know, investing, it's like, it's not for me to decide, but it causes us to ask those questions. What's happening with this money when you spend it, when you invest it, when you give it away? And, and does that feel mindful to you? Or does it just feel like what everybody else is doing? Because that's how you're going to make the most amount of money. Yeah,
1: that sounds like good advice to me. <laughs> um, can you tell us a little bit about the iProsper process and what you learned from clients
0: working the process? So iProsper is, like we were saying before, it's inspired by the chakras. So it's an eight-step process, the first being intention, and then the seven parts of how I see money playing out in people's lives. I wanted to give a framework for folks to go from start to finish, almost like rehearsing, rehearsing the life that you really want to be living and give folks a way of thinking about that. So it takes you on the hero's journey is really what it's doing through the past and into the future. And, you know, I added some of the things that I learned as a a financial planner towards the end, because it's like, okay, well, now, what do you do with this? Like, we're going to look inside. We're going to see what's not working for you. And ultimately, we're going to write a new story. And then we're going to have money come in and make better choices. And with, one of the things I love in the seventh step of the of the process is, as a financial advisor, you learn all these like nuances, like hundreds and hundreds of them. But you're like, I don't know where to share these things. And so I, I finally get to share this stuff, like check out, you know, getting... When your child turns 18, have them go sign a you know, authority so that if anything happens to them, you have the ability to make decisions. And I'm forgetting the name of it, Jonathan. But I mean, these silly things that are super important, I got to list out everything, like a brain dump of these are the things you should do as you're building wealth for yourself.
2: So one of the, one of the concepts that comes up over and over and over and over, and you brought it up earlier, is scarcity. In the book, you talk about tunneling. Can you describe how scarcity becomes tunneling and why that's problematic?
0: Yeah. So this is a term that was created by two professors who wrote a book called scarcity. So I'm just explaining what they explain in their research. And that is that when we are captivated by the idea of not enough, So this could be not enough money, not enough resources. And I will even put it over like not enough love or attention, anything like that. The brain responds by instead of, oh, there's all these other options. The brain responds by giving you a tunnel of only a few possible outcomes of the situation being presented. So it immediately shrinks your scope for making decisions It also, they have tracked a loss of IQ of like losing a full night's sleep. So 12 points, 13 points in IQ just from being consumed by this thought of not enough. And if you remember when I talked about those paradigms, I think what I'm trying to do for folks is I'm literally in a couple hours of working with me, my goal is to find where have they tunneled? Because that's what the paradigm is doing. It's only allowing them to see a few options. And typically when they come to me and they're saying what they think their possibilities are, I can see that they're only looking at this little lens. And I know that if we could do the work and they bust the paradigm, all of a sudden they're like, oh, the world is my oyster. Anything is possible. This is so fun. Um, So we're, we're taking them out of tunneling
2: how does that shift come? Like, it sounds like they sort of have this aha moment, but are you Socratically asking them questions or are you saying, Hey, you're missing this and this and this, or what, what is that trend? You know, what is that transition? How's that happen?
0: Yeah. Lots of different things, questions. I have people answer a whole bunch of questions about their relationship with money, how their parents, mom thought of it, dad thought about it or grandparents, what are the stories? Who had money? Who didn't? Like all these questions. And a lot of them are in the mindful Millionaire there that I ask people. But when they give that back to me, I'm looking for the paradigms. And once I see it or come close, then when we meet in person, I can start to say, hey, tell me more about this or tell me more about that. All along, I'm looking for the beliefs that I know aren't true, but they are really certain are true. And from that point, we can dive into a series of questions that allow them to see the construct of of what's happened. Definitely involves forgiveness, oftentimes for self, for parents, for you know oppressors. A lot of times, we're exploring the victim dynamic. It isn't therapy, and, and I have never been to a therapist, and I I thankfully. I've always used spiritual. I've used this sort of process in my own life and worked with other people who have taught me different strategies in it, but it's, it's fast. It's quite simple when you've done hundreds and hundreds, very inspired. If you, if you know Byron Katie's work, she has four questions. It's all the same at the end of the day, but the point is, is that we run away. I think the reason it's hard to do this on ourselves is that We'll run away. It's the sea we're swimming in and we'll get close and it's so uncomfortable. We'll, we'll run away. So my my gift is to be like, I know you want to run, but <laughs> I need you to stay. <laughs> Let's just go a little deeper into understanding what happened. You know, once, once we forgive, it, people, yeah. I think there's an art in being able to show people something and have them be like, oh, they're, they're just automatically forgiving. I don't even have to ask it. You know, they're like, I see it. Thank you. Yeah. What strikes
1: me as interesting here is like we've we're watching narrative come back into things. We've had, you know, two other uh, episodes previously in the season where like it was all about narrative. Right. And like the kind of stories people tell themselves. But like. It's just interesting because I think, you know, this comes up over and over again in terms of conditioning the outcomes that people have. And so it seems like there really is something there with with narratives and people's relationships to their backstory. For sure. yeah. Yeah. So let me ask another question. I think, you know, there were certain trends that were already there pre-COVID, but I think COVID has done a lot to you know, bring up more precarity for people to uh, widen some of those income gaps and some of the inequality that exists in society. And it's certainly put people into more uncertainty and more stress related to the predictability of things. And I wonder if you would have any advice for people who are facing these kind of stressful financial situations or who have had their, you know, certainties or the predictability of things kind of turned on their head in the last few years.
0: I think in line with what we're talking about, the first thing is just to notice if you have tunnel vision about your situation, are you stuck in kind of a loop that just keeps circling over and over again? You always end up the same place and you don't have a solution that's appearing. Because again, I think this is where it's helpful to have people outside of yourself who aren't stuck in that same dynamic, who have a different perspective to communicate and connect this is what's happening for me. And, and it's funny because this is the exact opposite of what like our ego self wants to do. We want to like hunker down and try and figure it out all, all by ourselves. But to me, the most important thing we can do, especially if it relates to money in any way, shape or form is to talk to other people going to Brene Brown's work. Like shame is the most debilitating emotion we can have. And if shame is activated, which it will be when people have big shifts in their situation, they might just, they might have trouble solving it on their own. So if you can get out of your shame and share it with someone and have somebody say, you're not alone in this, you you know, and and this is so much of, I think the communities that I build is people are willing to come in and, and, and not maybe right at first, they kind of got to size it up, like what's happening here. But when people start to hear vulnerable shares of like, This is what's happening and this is where I want to go and I'm not there yet. It's incredibly liberating and it allows us to, you know, start, get into the present moment and start to think about what might look different. I'll add one other thing that we've learned. We could talk just about this as a podcast that I'll plant a seed. I've been working with people in my company for eight years in a lot of communities. And we, in six, six months ago, we integrated a process called Next Tiny Step. And because I was seeing people be super goal-driven and, and that's how our society is completely run and it's ridiculous. And it's like completely separate from being in the present moment. And we needed a process that would allow people to create without a goal-driven matrix. Instead, what we show people how to do is how to, Focus on what is the next tiny step to move forward. And I didn't come up with this. We we used a, a person by the name of Richard Rolston to show us what he had learned after working with thousands of people. And then we're adding our own flavor to it. Um, it's kind of like a circling combined with accountability pods that are peer led, and it's a game. It's a game changer. And as much trouble as we've had integrating it, I get why it's hard is we're rethinking all of the ways that we actually have held ourselves accountable to our goals and how destructive it can be. I want to, as a
1: follow-up question and like, I don't don't know, whatever, I'm I'm just going to ask it. Um, It seems like everything you're saying presupposes a lot of that there is enough and that it's all somehow internal, right? As if my position in society, as if meritocracy is a given. And I mean, when I look at things, I think the reality is that like the cards deck is stacked in a certain way, right? Like some people come into this world with more, some people come into this world with less, then let's not even talk about race, this season's about gender. There's all ways in which we kind of come into the social hierarchy, the financial hierarchy in a different way. And to me, sometimes like talking just about, you know, abundance and changing what's going on in your own narrative doesn't necessarily account for the fact that the deck is stacked in particular ways. So I wonder if you, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that there's no stacking or do you think it's all kind of internal narrative or like, what do you, what's your
0: reaction? It's a good question. You know, I can't change the situation of, of how I was raised I'm a white woman, you know, in a country that has proven to, you know, have a lot of issues around racism that I'm very sensitive to. And I don't know all the ways that my privilege have affected my life. But I think I do have a slightly different perspective in that coming from where I came from, which is the lower middle class in the United States, and then watching this transition, being a hundred percent, not, I mean, a hundred percent, who am I showing up in my life? Like that has been everything because I witnessed, I'm going back to a reunion where I grew up in the Bay area in, in a month and, and I'm excited about it. But recently, you know, several people have passed away and i and i'm watching this very hard living and the toll of hard living that i was exposed to growing up and the toll it would have taken on me had i not broken out from a mindset perspective and so i think it, it you know this is this is the world that i had to kind of learn and i teach according to that interesting enough we have a very diverse community of people that come to my work. And I think it's because I don't ignore the oppression or the systems or all these things that are stacked against us, but I won't let them stop us. I won't allow them to create a victim situation. I refuse to live that way. And I think that that's a shift that hasn't been easily won because I spent most of I feel like at least 30 Forty years of
2: my life as a victim. I I wonder just, just to, and and not to change anything about the answer or to, or to question anything there. I wonder if it's a choice of how we resolve that very, very difficult, true situation. And we, we could, we could wait for the universe to resolve it, for things to become equal, for things to be fixed and for governments to figure it out. And for, or, or we can take some of that, and say, you know what? I'm not going to wait. I'm going to do it myself. And in order to do it myself, I have to have I have to have the mental acuity and the mental, you know, strength and the fortitude. And I've got to gird myself and I've got to and to fight that battle, right? And so, so what are those? What are those mental strengths? And what are those? How do we empower people that are on the losing end of the stack to then rise up? Like how how do we how do we enable that? And I think that's Lisa. I think that's the work that you're doing better than I am. So,
0: <laughs> Well, I mean, the person who comes to mind to me in this moment and, and continuously is Nelson Mandela and the idea of him going into this prison. And for many people, that would have been the end. But yet he came out of that experience, a completely different person who went on to, you know, change thought at the at a minimum, you know, whether societies or what have you, that we are not going to change the world in the way, you know, Buddha said this, like you can't cover the world with leather. So you put leather on your shoes. And I, I am, don't get me wrong. I get caught up in like all kinds of stuff. And my husband's like, Oh my goodness. You know, because in the moment I can be very emotional about the things that are happening, but they're not the truth of my being. It's just like, Ooh, (laughs) this is very, this seems so real. And then I calm down and I see that I look at life, like we're here, we have chosen to be on the human plane for the lessons that we can only get in this human experience. And, you know, to go very spiritual, like, yeah, I mean, I was hearing somebody the other day, like, we live on this human experience where a lot of Animals and humans have to kill other things to live like we're not going to change that situation, (laughs) but what we do with the difficulty and the hardship in this life is, is what I'm, I think I'm here for.
2: (laughs) So uh, just bringing, bringing some of the deck stacking to, to a question, you know, I, I guess this is my role this season is asking this question, um, gender differences, you know, I'm a guy, I have a daughter, I have women who work in the office with me. I'm married. What can I do to support your success, uh, women's success generally? What, what are some of the things that I can do to help? Cause it seems like, I don't know if this is not a, this, it's honest, right? You know, men, men have run things sometimes into the ground for a long time. And what can we do to bring some more parity to
0: that? What comes to me as, is, is listening and I had something happen recently where I was caught in an old paradigm and I'm glad it happened, but in the time when it was happening, it was very frustrating to me. And it actually played into this whole, I'll say now, deceit where something was being handled as if I were, I'm in a networking group. It's probably... men, but the group is dictated by men and the style is by men. And I, and a lot of the women in the group will comment about things. And there was a situation and I was like, my feelings were kind of hurt. And I said it to one person and they demanded that I had to go to this other person, this guy. And I was like, I know how this goes. Like, I, I don't really feel good about it. I'd rather just I'm gonna work on me just forgiving and letting it go, but he wouldn't let go of it. And so I went, I I had to like go to this person and tell him what happened. And it played out exactly like my worst fears, which was like, that's kind of stupid. And I was like, maybe it is, (laughs) it's my feelings. And, um, And I was like, sometimes it's helpful to just listen, and not treat women like they should be men. And my husband was the one who actually kind of helped me through it because in that situation, it's okay that we're different. It's okay that we might have a different way of looking at something or working through something. And I don't know if there's any wisdom in it, but I learned a lot through the journey of being like comfortable with the fact that sometimes I don't wanna share something and I wanna work on it privately. And other times, I'm also going to say I was really glad it got brought out I learned some things about myself. So <laughs> listening and honoring that we might have different ways of processing. <laughs> does that hmm. make any sense, Jonathan?
2: It, it, does, it, it does. It doesn't, you know, just shut up, basically. You know, don't solve every problem is what I, is what I hear. <laughs> yeah.
1: Like, I mean, you know, it's actually very funny, at least as you were telling that story, like, you know, this also comes into the show a fair bit, like you know, um, so I have a, like a, a sports life and, you know, in the gym, this will always happen. Like, you know, the the women, like the female athletes come to me and there's something and something's happened and they're like, not happy about it. And then they're like working through it. And they're like, do I go and talk to the head coach about it? Do I not talk to him? And then like, it, pl- it plays out exactly how you said, because if they do go to talk to him, then like, it never really ends well. And <laughs> it's just like, but he doesn't need to do anything. He just should, I could tell him just, listen, and be like, okay, let's, you know, go on, but that's not how it goes. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs)
0: Um, Yeah, my husband, it was funny, because I was caught in it, and he was like, you just need to say that you don't have to treat women like men all the time, like, it's okay if there's some differences here, and I was like, that makes so much sense, like, (laughs) we're all the same you know I, it's it's not one or the other it's the both and and, yeah. and it's yeah. fun to just be able to be be okay with all parts yeah I think that's good advice
1: um Lisa so we're coming to the end of our time I want to thank you so much for having this very open conversation with us today and you know being willing to go on all of our little tangents <laughs> so yeah thank you for for taking the time to talk to us today
2: Th- thank you very much once again
1: thank you so much super fun